0: Welcome to another episode of Arrow Bandwidth. Uh, today we're talking about Prisma SASE from Palo Alto Networks. I've got with me Joe Bombardi who is the Director of Systems Engineering for EMEA. Joe, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, I've heard a lot about ZTNA and, and more sort of specifically ZTNA 2.0. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is that a new version?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it sounds like a new version. It's not really a new version. It's more of a new definition of what ZTNA should be. You know, and, and the reason we've done that is, if you look at the evolution of secure remote access, you know, in the old days we had VPN. VPN was somewhat effective in creating some kind of secure connection between a user and and a network. And and once they were authorized, they were effectively on the network. Um, no difference to plugging a laptop in via an Ethernet cable into the wall, so to speak. And then there was, wasn't was really a privileged access to anything. It's just they're on the network, they could access what they could access. So the evolution of ZTNA was really about how do you control or put more controls in place to make sure rather than connecting users to a network, you're connecting users to a service or an application, effectively restricting the access to what that user should or shouldn't be able to do. So ZTNA uh, or you know zero trust network access was a great evolution of, of, of remote access via VPN you know, to achieve that goal. The problem is, obviously, things have changed a lot, especially in the last few years. You know, the attack surface is now huge compared to a few years ago. Uh, Even up until a few years ago, we were still architecting networks where we assumed the user would be in an office, which was protected by a firewall, which had a secure connection from that office to a data center, which had a cluster of firewalls, and we would secure access there. And then if users were going onto internet or SaaS or cloud, It was usually a backhaul on the back of this supposed, you know, secure connection into a a data center. Now, when we think about the attack surface being users being anywhere, maybe still in an office, maybe at home, maybe in an airport, and applications being everywhere. Could be an on-prem data center, could be SaaS, could be cloud, or it could be internet. You need to think about things very, very different. You've kind of got this matrix of any kind of user in any location, any network, any application. And when you think about how do you secure that, that's really difficult if you try and use legacy approaches to achieve that goal. So the idea of ZTNA or ZTNA 2.0 was really about making sure that our customers put security efficacy first. And I know we've discussed this before, You know, we always, Palo Alto's approach is security first and everything else should fall into place You know, on the back of that. So with ZTNA, what we're really trying to do here is make sure that our customers and our partners understand that ZTNA 1.0, if we can call it that, was a big step forward, but has gaps. Now, what are those gaps? You know, if we think about ZTNA being about, you know, privileged access, are we saying it doesn't achieve that? Not really. We're just saying that it should achieve it in its maximum capacity for all use cases. Now, if we talk through some of those gaps, perhaps, and we had a brief chat about this earlier. Now, you know, with ZTNA 1.0, we spoke about um, privileged access. Now, what really happens in the real world, it sounds great when we say we're gonna have a user authenticate against something. Let's just say there is some kind of security broker which checks certain aspects of a user, certain credentials to say, um, does this user have appropriate access privileges to access application X? Okay, and that sounds great, right? That's what we, want to, what we want to achieve. But then when you start lifting the hood and looking below and understanding, well, okay, what are those credentials? What does privileged access really mean? And that's where we need to start really understanding, okay, if we say user X can get access to application Y, what is application Y? What is the real definition of that? And if you start thinking back to Palo Alto's heritage on what we call App ID, and, you know, for those that don't know, App ID really is Palo Alto's uh, very deep level understanding of applications. Kind of what made our next-gen firewalls famous in the early days. You know, we did application-level security on our firewalls, whereas legacy firewalls were pretty much based on, you know, IPs and port ranges, um, which is not granular. And today, nothing has changed. You know, Palo Alto's app ID engine, our content ID engines, our device ID engines, and and so on, means that when a user is authenticating, we're making sure that what we give them privileged access to is true. No more, no less. And that can only happen when you've got a very deep level definition of, of what that application is. Um, alternative ways of, of achieving that is to say okay we want to we want to create a policy for some kind of application now if that product is defining that application by a group of IP addresses or, or ports you're effectively achieving full access to the network now try and define today's you know modern web applications is that one IP or one port no it's tens could be hundreds so what happens at the operational level uh, security operations or network operations, people start opening up more and more IPs, more and more ports, and before you know it, that user effectively has access to the network. What does that sound like? Legacy VPN, right? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so this privileged access is a big part of ZTNA 2.0, and what we're trying to say here, it needs to be really, really granular if if it's going to be true. The other thing is this, this concept or this notion of allow and ignore. Now, what do we mean by allow and ignore? What we're saying here is some security solutions do a good job of, you know, authenticating the user. You know, everything checks out, correct user, correct compliant device, and that user, yes, has uh, access to whatever that application or service should be. The problem there is that once they authenticate that user, that user is assumed to be secure Mm -hmm. for the life of that transaction. So allow and ignore means, at time of authentication, you're good. We're gonna let you, David, access, you know, that particular application, and we kind of like you and we trust you. And we're going to assume that everything you do from this point forward is going to be safe and secure. Now, of course, in the real world, we know most breaches happen from within. Um, they're not always malicious, sometimes accidental, sometimes users do silly things. So how can we rely on a technology to make sure that we're continuously checking that things are as they should be? So from that, we talk about um, continuous security inspection. Um Again, I mentioned earlier on that uh, you know our approach is security first. As you know, we've got many, many years' worth of experience on creating advanced you know, security mechanisms. And what we want to make sure here is after we've approved you or authorized you, David, to access that application, we want to make sure that all of Palo Alto's advanced security mechanisms, whether it's you know threat prevention, advanced URL filtering, uh, wildfire sandboxing, whatever it may be, we want to make sure we're continuously doing that to make sure that what you're doing Continues to be safe. Sounds obvious, right? But again, in that ZTNA 1.0, that's not really the case. Um, The other thing is about uh, having a deep understanding about data. Um, You know, you're going to access things, applications, files, data. Some of those things might be sensitive. Some of those things might be restricted. Some of those things, the company you work for might want to make sure you don't accidentally take them out of the realm of that corporate infrastructure. For example, you know, downloading. Uh, secret files from a corporate SharePoint and, you know, uploading them to your personal Dropbox for convenience, those sorts of things, right? So having an understanding of a data and user behavior becomes critical. Again, sounds obvious, but that really is not the way ZTNA has always been done. And the last one, or the fifth one, which, (coughs) excuse me, and the last one, or the fifth one, which again sounds obvious, is the ability to provide all of that security capabilities for all applications, Now what I mean by that is there are a lot of vendors in the SASE space, we've spoken about this before, some of them do a pretty good job from a security perspective on some use cases. You know, internet access, you know, that's probably deemed the most dangerous place for application traffic to to go to, and you know, those vendors want to make sure that they're providing certain levels of security to to keep that user secure during that transaction. But what about SaaS? Or what about on-prem, private applications? Should we assume that a private application hosted in an on-prem data center is safer or more secure than the internet? It probably is. Is it always? No. And the whole thing about, you know, zero trust with zero compromise is really about we can't assume that any situation is more secure than the next. We don't want to say that we don't trust you when you're working from home, David, but if you're at the office, we trust you. No, you need consistent zero trust at all times. And that applies to applications as well. Corporate on-prem applications are not necessarily safer than internet, and we want to make sure that all of those security controls that are under that umbrella of zero trust are enforced all the time, all users, all networks, all applications.
0: Joe, thanks for explaining that to me. So you've explained a lot about ZTNA 2.0 and its deep level of security. Um, Is it really possible to deliver that on such a global scale?
1: Yeah, you know, this question comes up a lot because, again, you know, we talk about SASE as this, you know, cloud-delivered something. And again, every vendor does it differently. Some vendors do true, um, you know, native cloud uh, Sassy. Others go around building data centers with, you know, physical servers in racks and so on, which isn't true, you know, cloud-native, but kind of delivers something similar. In our case, what we decided to do here was to say, okay, if we're trying to do this level of security, if you think about the way you would normally spec a firewall, if you want to do a huge amount of security, you know all the bells and whistles turned on, you need something pretty big. How do you translate into that into the world of SASE? You know, did we go away and just virtualize a firewall and stick it in the cloud? You know, absolutely not. You could never achieve what we've achieved if we took that sort of approach. But what we wanted to do was take these um, mature security capabilities that we've built over the last twelve to fifteen years, and adapt them to a new new use case, which is SASE. So if you think about the platform of what we've done with SAS, did Palo Alto really go out there and build a bunch of data centers and this global network backbone? Of course not. You know that's not us. Customers and our partners come to us to have best of breed security. What we did was partnered with the best in that space. So we partnered with the hyperscalers, you know, GCP, AWS, and so on, and we effectively leverage their backbone. We leverage their global reach when it comes to data centers or you know cloud data centers around the world and we overlaid our technology on top of that. So what our customers get is, you know, the best network backbone in the world, um, you know, highest performance, lowest latency, fastest way to get a user to application or to connect a user to cloud or a user to SaaS and so on. And we've, we've effectively adapted our technology based on microservices and other technologies to be able to, to scale. So it means if a customer wants to use a small part of that capability, fine. Because the world of public cloud is built for small scale, but the other thing that public cloud is built for is large scale, hyperscale. So if we have a customer that's got a small number of users and a small number of sites, they can get all these capabilities. If we have customers with hundreds of thousands of users and thousands of sites, and by the way, we have those, they can also use the very, very same architecture, the very, very same platform with the very same capabilities. It's really just a case of scale. And using that type of technology allows us to scale automatically to the low-scale needs or the high-scale needs of those customers. The beauty of it means that if customers are using extreme levels of security, which typically use you know lots and lots of uh, capacity and specs, that's, again, what public cloud was built for. So it kind of allows us to achieve true ZTNA 2.0 for all of those use cases that I mentioned in a cloud-scale type of architecture. So, Joe, when it comes to ZTNA
0: 2.0 and our partners are talking to their customers or or their potential customers,
1: what kind of initiatives and projects should they be looking for? This is an important one because one of the things we find is that, you know, again, a customer has a problem and we all do our best to solve that problem as quickly and often cheaply as possible, right? Which is great. Nothing wrong with that if it if it does the job. But then those problems don't stop and you know they keep evolving. And we sort of touched on it earlier on around putting a platform in place which is future-proofed for many use cases. But the main probably three, maybe even four, to really listen out for is, you know, ZTNA, we've spoken about it a lot. Um, all of our customers have some kind of ZTNA initiative that they've either done or, or either looking to do. Usually it will be led by VPN replacement. You know, earlier on we, led, we talked about how VPN kind of led to ZTNA 1.0 and now 2.0. So any customers with legacy VPN solutions, they're looking to replace them. They want something that is more scalable something that performs a lot better, something that allows their users to be anywhere in the world and effectively have the same experience with always consistent security. So VPN replacement is a big one. Um, Proxy replacement. There are a lot of customers out there with legacy proxies. Um, Usually those proxies are sitting somewhere in a data center and usually users, potentially all around the world, are accessing a data center, hitting a proxy, and then going out to the internet. I mean, it's certainly not, secure or the most secure way of doing things certainly doesn't give users the best performance and it's certainly not scalable or elastic um, so that approach is, is pretty big so any initiatives around proxy replacement customers trying to go towards you know cloud delivered secure web gateways is, is, is a pretty big one um, and the third one which is probably I don't want to say flavor of the month because uh, there's a lot of flavor of the month but certainly you know top of the agenda is is CASB uh, solutions so CASB being you know cloud access security brokers this is really about SaaS security. Uh, a lot of customers have been, you know, implementing many, many solutions over the years to try and understand, secure, control, you know, SaaS usage. Uh, there are a lot of vendors out there that do nothing but Casb, and some of them do it pretty well. Uh, but you know, Casb really encompasses that SaaS security and DLP, uh, data loss prevention. Um, they're probably the top three. The other thing I would probably mention to our partners is that a lot of our customers are evolving from perimeter-based firewalls. And I mean, when I say perimeter, I mean in a branch office, you know, they may have 10, 50, 100, whatever it may be, um, branches, and they've got firewalls of some sort, maybe Palo Alto's, maybe somebody else's. And there's that natural evolution to having that capability of a next-gen firewall delivered from SASE, as opposed to having, you know, 100 firewalls scattered around the network. So they're probably the top three or four to to listen out for, I would say.
0: Joe, thanks very much for joining me on today's Arrow Bandwidth podcast. It's brilliant that you've been talking about um, Casby and how that relates to Prisma SASE because we're going to be brilliantly talking about that on the next episode. So really looking forward to uh, talking to you again about that. Thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot.